Well, hello, friends, we're going to get the show started here in just a moment. But first, I have an invitation for you. I would like to speak with as many of you as I possibly can, and I'm going to make it real easy. All you have to do is if you go out to halfwaytherepodcast.com slash contact, it'll take you to a forum. You fill out a little bit of information, and in the comments section, just say, hey, I want to talk to you too, you know, or anything like that. And it'll send me an email and then I'll send you an email and then we can set up a time to just have, could be a short conversation, might be a longer conversation, but uh, just to connect. And um, I'm thinking that we would do just a phone call or possibly a Skype if you have the ability to do that. But I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. I want to just get to know who is listening to this podcast. So if you've listened to this show and thought to yourself, man, I would really love to to hang out with Eric. Um, you know, it's not the main point of the show, me, it's it's the people that we talk to. But if you if that's you, then I would love to talk to you. So if you would go to halfwaytherepodcast.com slash contact and send me that email, I'll be in touch and we'll have a really great conversation. All right, that's all I wanted to invite you to. Come and talk with me and f- let's go ahead. Let's get the show started. Hit it. there, my friends. I am excited about this conversation. This is actually is a special episode for a lot of reasons, but number one, it's episode number 100. So welcome to episode 100. If you've been with us from the beginning or you just discovered the show, welcome. I'm so glad that you've done that. Halfway There is a show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. And with me today to have a conversation is worship leader and author Aaron Nequist. Aaron, welcome to Halfway There. Hello, glad to be here. I'm really glad. Episode 100. Yeah, you're number 100. How cool is that? It's exciting. (laughs) Triple digits. So one (laughs) one of the things, you know, you put in your show notes, the the number and in your URL, the number, and I started out and I did 001 waiting for this day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. So some beautiful. Vision. Congratulations. Thank you. Vision is great. Well, I, I'm excited to have a great conversation that sort of summarizes a lot of what we uh, are about here, I think. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and you know what you're doing, and then we'll get into your story, and uh, then we'll talk about your book, The Eternal Current, which I think is going to be really uh, formational for our audience. Mm. Thanks. Well, I'm a maniac Cubs fan. Oh no! So that's oh, you know, that's too bad. It's well, <laughs> it's true. So You're... that probably offends half the audience, but uh, maybe endears the other half. Yeah. But uh, try to get to Wrigley Field as often as possible. Um, no, married uh, my wife Shauna. We live in the Chicago area. We have two kids, uh, uh, eleven and six, two boys. They are wild men, and. Um, <laughs> We have been having so much fun. I've been a worship leader for the last um, this year. It's 20 years. Uh, wow. And so I've been a part of a couple different churches, mostly kind of in the evangelical um, Protestant space. Um, but the last four years been um, really moving into more kind of practice-based, ecumenical, um, kind of liturgical modern, some of these other 
um, trying to explore some some different ways. So. Yeah, different parts of the stream, if you will. Which yeah, which that's is right. that eternal current metaphor you use in the book is really is really great for kind of understanding mm. that as all we're, all branches go into one place. Mm. Yeah. Thanks. I love that. Well, thank you for that. So uh, I will forgive you for being a Cubs fan. I'm a Cardinals <laughs> fan, and girl, you're a Cardinals. Girl, I know fan. we're we're gonna. It's okay. We're gonna. All right. Cut it short. The kingdom of Jesus is bigger <laughs> than that. But uh, I actually lived in if Chicago for a while. I can have a conversation, then anyone can have a conversation. Right, exactly. So. That's the good thing about the Cardinals-Cubs rivalry is it's a friendly one. So it is. That's... Yep. Yep. Anyway, I, yeah, Wrigley Field is great, but we'll, we'll move on. So <laughs> I love baseball. It's just my favorite thing. One of my favorite things. But uh, okay, so thank you for that. So you're a worship leader. Let's talk about your story. Let's go back into your story. Let's let's go there. So yeah, uh, did you grow up as a as a evangelical or in church? How how'd that work for you? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in um, the Plymouth Brethren faith tradition. So uh, rather kind of conservative, uh, really low church, independent tradition. Yeah, and it it was wonderful in a lot of ways. Uh, we caught we referred to ourselves as the Chapel family. It was a very familial and uh, relational community. I loved that. And like every tradition, there's a number of things I've had to let go and uh, kind of detox from. But um, in general, that was a, a really good way to get started on a faith journey. Yeah, that's great. So then. I wanted to know about your personal experience of Jesus. So you you were just kind of there in in the family, and yeah. you brought you know you accepted Christ, did the did the whole prayer thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I you know when I was a kid, my 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 mom was going to heaven, so I was like, well, I want to go, and right. so that's where it started. Um, and you know, as silly as that sounds, it really got me on a legitimate faith journey. That's how it got started. Um, and that was great. And in high school, I, I, my faith started to become a little more real. And then I went to Christian college and then I got a job at a church and about two years in my, my whole faith imploded. And it was, it was, it was really intense. I mean, when your job is to lead people in songs that you don't believe anymore. Yeah. It is very complicated. And so, yeah, that was a really, a real, really dark season. Yeah. Well, I can imagine. So can you take us into that experience? Like what was yeah. it that, that imploded? So you, you, you had, I just want to set the stage, right? So yeah. you, you had this Christian upbringing, you went to a Christian school. So yep. there as a worship leader, maybe even there's some sense of performance or we have to believe a certain way, do, sure. do certain things. Yep. Um, and you, I don't know what your theology necessarily, if that was evolving or not, but okay. So you've got all that. And then you suddenly realize you, you're not believing this. So why like take us into that? Yeah. Moment? Well, you know, um, it sure wasn't clear at, at the time. Sure. Um, there wasn't a crisis. There wasn't a moment. There wasn't a tragedy. It was just the sense that it, it had run out of gas. It was like, or as I've said before, it was like the air conditioner just, it started blowing hot air and I, I didn't understand why. And it just, mm. it didn't work anymore. It didn't feel helpful. It, it didn't seem like my faith had much to say 
to the actual complexity of my life. Wow. It was just this thing that I had grown up with that I was real thankful for. Um, but I, I really thought like, wow, I wonder if being a Christian was kind of for the first 20 years and then I don't know, maybe there'll be something else. So yeah, and I know I'm talking about it kind of in a nebulous way. It, it was, it was pretty, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't very clear then, you yeah. know, I just knew something was ending. Yeah. Well, what I think is interesting about that is, um, you know, for a lot of people, like you said, some, sometimes it's an event that triggers that sort of inward yeah. focus and the wall in, in the journey. Um, and, but not always. And so I think yeah. it's really interesting that you just sort of felt like, Hey, this is not, I don't get this anymore and it doesn't yeah. make sense. And, and it's uh, almost like I woke up one morning and realized that it had ended a while ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was just catching up to it, you know, or something. It was very strange and, and really dark. I mean, um, my Christian faith had been a part of every day of my life pretty much since I was like six, you know? And so I didn't know how to move forward without that framework. Yeah. So was it things like your practices that didn't no longer seem to speak to you, like doing the quiet time thing and all that, or was it just, yeah, I think it was just the whole framework. It was yeah. the, so like I, I, I just, I said this prayer when I was a kid and it's going to get me into heaven someday. And until then, what? Like, you know, especially in high school, don't drink and smoke or have sex. Like right. that's, that's, that's the invitation of Jesus, you know, wait for heaven and then don't do the fun stuff that your friends are doing. Like there's got to be more than that. But unfortunately I had just, uh, I, I'm sure I had been taught it, but it hadn't sunk in that there was a bigger invitation. Yeah. Okay. Well, how'd you get into worship? Was that, was that a, were you always just a musician or? Yeah, I was, um, in high school. I, I first two years of high school, I played sports, did three different sports, but then my junior year, I just felt a shift and I went out for the musical, which was guys and dolls and just said, Oh yeah, music is where it's at. And so really threw myself into music. And so in college, um, I was writing songs and, you know, in a band and all that, but I was also starting to lead people in singing, whether it was in chapel or that kind of thing. And I just couldn't, it, you know, it wasn't the coolest thing. And I still don't think like worship leaders, like the coolest thing in the world, <laughs> but it's, it's who I'm made to be. Yeah. And I remember, I remember realizing like, wow, I think this is one of the things that God has made me to do. And so I just consider that a huge privilege to be able to serve people in that way. Yeah. So you found yourself in music. I really did. In some ways. Yeah. 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 So was that something of an identity thing when you started to realize that this wasn't working your faith wise in the worship piece? Oh, sure. Yeah. It was, it, I, I think I, I, I assumed I would continue with music. Um, but, uh, didn't know how, how it could be about God if I didn't believe in God or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but what was really cool is, um, this, this season probably lasted a year or two. Like it was not like one weekend. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I had a couple friends who didn't give up on me and a couple friends who would just walk with me. Um, it was the first time I got into therapy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, realizing some of the things going on inside of me, 
But one friend at a certain point gave me The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Ah, love that. And have have you, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I I mean, I still remember reading the chapter, it was either two or three, The Gospels of Sin Management. Uh Uh-huh. And it was the first time in my whole life of being a Christian that I had ever heard about the kingdom of God. Like it's the thing that Jesus taught the most about. Right. And I'd been a Christian for almost 20 years and I'd, I'd never heard about it. And so suddenly this story that I thought was about trying to not get God's punishment so I could go to heaven someday, suddenly the story is, you get to join with what God is doing to redeem and restore all things. Through Christ, we've been invited to partner with the great redemption and restoration of the universe. And I was like, wait a second. Right. <laughs> if that's the invitation, I'm in. Like, sign me up for that. Yeah, isn't that interesting? All of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is good news. It's This is so, great news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's such good news. And... That was like one of those, I've joked, like as a good evangelical, I was born again, again. You know, that was a a true transformational, um, uh, another opening to the God who's been there all along. Oh, I love that. I was born again, again. I felt the same way when I discovered Dallas Willard. Really? I totally relate to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that whole idea. For me, it was an article that he wrote... um, Actually, was in Christianity Today, but I found it in the back of the Spirit of the Disciplines about about is discipleship for super Christians only. Wow! And for for me, because I was I realized I was kind of interested in in discipleship, but all the books that I found were just sort of boring and about like how how do you train people or something, and I didn't care about that. I was like, I want to be a disciple. How do I become? How do I do that? And he said, No, you already are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're. You are yes, example. and that totally woke up my my brain and sent me on a whole different path. Yes, so, or my heart. Oh, Maybe it woke so up my good. Heart. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, you know, I got about I don't know, maybe ten years after that, I got to uh, tell Dallas Willard oh. that kind of my story with yeah. his book and all that, and it was so meaningful. I mean, we just got to talk for like three minutes, but it was so meaningful for me to be able to just say you'll you. You will, you will never know for this one dude in Illinois, you know, um, what God did through that book, let alone all your books. And it was very meaningful. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to say to my friends here listening, that's a book that you can, you should read if you haven't, particularly yeah. if you're feeling those kinds of that angst about maybe this isn't working the way I, I thought it would. Yeah. Uh, I, it's not look. an easy read. It's, it's a little dry. It's more like a, yeah, it's not a thrilling read. Maybe you say, I'll say it that way. Well, he was a philosopher. So yeah, that's right. It's it's a little heady, but if it's worth it is biting off little bites and chewing on it for a while. Yep. 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 Yeah. It's like eating steak instead of eating French fries. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it's a, that's a good metaphor. So the, I put a link to that in the show notes, friends, so you guys can go find it. At halfwaytherepodcast.com. All right. Well, so you found Dallas Willard and that sort of changed your view. You found the kingdom of God. So what how did that impact you and, and lead you forward? Well, yeah, it 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 just changed the orientation of everything. Instead of how do I not do bad stuff, mm-hmm. 
it was how do I do good stuff? Yeah. <laughs> how, do I, how do I join what God's doing? So then it raises the question, well, what is God doing? And so it just, it, it literally reoriented everything. And it was right in the season where um, I got to know Rob Bell, who had just started a church a couple years earlier in Grand Rapids called Mars Hill. And his worship leader was leaving. And so he invited uh, me to come partner with their church. And so this is uh, 2003. Okay. And so um, I moved to Grand Rapids and uh, start leading worship there at Mars. And, you know, he was preaching. A lot of people don't know. They started Mars Hill by reading through The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. In a living room, they read that book and they dreamt about a community. Um, and so, you know, especially at that time, it was so much about formation and ki a kingdom theology and this whole thing. And it was so interesting. I showed up and I'm fired up about all these ideas, but I start leading worship and realize that the only tools in my toolbox are for the kind of the old uh, theology that I'd come out of. Yeah. So I had like four pop songs and a hymn, <laughs> and that's all I had. So every Sunday, Rob would be talking about this vast kingdom invitation, but all I had was that one um, worship tool that couldn't possibly contain the width and the depth of this invitation. And so that was shocking to me and scary, but also quite an invitation. Like, yeah. all right. Um, I now, you know, in the, the analogy of the river, you know, in, in, in my book, the eternal current, I talk about the kingdom as being this river that flows throughout history towards the redemption and restoration of all things. And Jesus doesn't say, believe about the river. Jesus says, learn to swim with me in the river. And so when I got to Mars, I realized as a worship leader, I didn't have very many tools that could help the community swim with such an epic river. And so that kind of messed with me and then launched me into a learning thing, both as a individual Christian, but also as a worship pastor. How do we, what are the other tools for swimming? What are the other ways that we can get swept up in this river? Yeah. What were some of the practices that you found and that were really valuable to you at that time? Yeah, as a worship leader, it started really simple. I remember the Sunday, my worship leading partner and I, his name is Troy Hatfield, we we said, all right, every Sunday, we're going to have one non-singing worship moment. So we're going to just try to take one small step every Sunday um, beyond singing. And so, you know, again, I hadn't only songs in my toolbox. So that was a real stretch, but we started simple. Like at that time, remember that song better is one day, the Matt Redman song. Yeah. Um, we were doing that a lot at that time. And we said, well, that was written out of a Psalm. I think it's Psalm 84. And, um, we said, before we sing it this week, the band will just start playing quietly and we're going to, we'll ask someone to read the entire Psalm and then we'll launch in and sing it together. And again, such a simple idea. But for us at the time, we'd literally never done anything but stand and sing. 
And we realized each time we we kind of got out of that form and um, engaged God in a different way, it's like the experience opened up, it deepened, um, just real practically. It helped us get out of uh, um, autopilot, you know, right? And it started expanding. And so then, obviously, that would expand us to well, how do other Christians do this? How do other Christian traditions worship God, not just by singing songs together, but by, you know, getting swept up? And so we were trying all these different things. And I remember one Sunday mentioning to Troy after after church, I just said, Troy, man, we're like inventing this whole new way of worshiping, you know, and he just smiled. He goes, yeah, I think it's called the liturgy. <laughs> and I think nice. people have been doing it for generations right. and generations. So that was kind of the way I accidentally stumbled into a more historic Christian faith and a more liturgical approach. Yeah, wow. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I think that's one of the things that maybe it's just like Americans in general have a, have trouble with history and kind of understanding yeah. where we are, but then the church specifically evangelicals, we kind of have this view that we're right and the way we do it's the only right way, but there's, right. a, we have this right. huge long tradition that we're a part of. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just not enough to say that, Hey, the way we do it is the only way to, to do it. So you found us, you you grew up in that really low tradition is the way or low church uh, way. So this was kind of a discovery for you. You hadn't hadn't heard it yet. And like anything, um, some of the people who were bringing all these kind of reforms, especially in the evangelical church in the seventies and eighties and all that, they, they were bringing a really needed and important new uh, life into these forms of church. And the the problem is, I think we did a little bit of the uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? It was, it, it became a pendulum swing where they perceived that their parents only cared about tradition. And so they were going to not care about tradition. They were going right. to only care about authenticity and I think we we ended up equally out of balance on the other side. And so I, I've been really encouraged. There are a lot of people who are trying to bring these back together. Yeah. The deep uh, history, the wisdom, the we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, and the spirit is doing a new thing, even in this moment. Yeah. And how do we participate with that? So Oh, that's so beautiful. You know, one thing. So you you have a chapter on liturgy in the in the book, and yeah. um, I was reading that. We've been our church is non denominational, but with a Presbyterian background, and okay, we've been. I, I don't know. I haven't talked to our worship leader. I need to maybe about kind of where he's at because he's been doing some things like passing of the peace, right? Oh Very yeah, like, yeah. Which which is a thing that okay, it's good to me. It felt kind of artificial. I was like, I don't understand okay. this whole thing. But I read this book or I read this chapter, your chapter on that, and it it kind of clicked that for me, right? Like, Oh, this is a, this is a much bigger thing than just me saying some words to a stranger. Sure. Right. And what was it? What, what, what clicked into place? How would you articulate it? Yeah. I think it was, it was that it's an opportunity to share that Jesus is, is here with this person. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so just taking that moment, which is better than a handshake and a pat on the back. Yeah. Um, Taking the moment of saying, 
Jesus is, yeah. is here. And that kind of, it reminded me of the value of, of going into these things uh, in a worship service and yeah. kind of embracing it. Cause I was a little standoffish instead of just embracing it and saying, okay, this is good for a reason. And then even like confession within the worship service and things like that, you know, yep. this is really, yep. really valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There is such a strong, um, in some circles, resistance against anything that sounds liturgical, um, especially in some Protestant worlds, anything that feels Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, there's such a polarization, us and them. You know, like we're, I'm, I'm not proud of this. When I grew up, we didn't think uh, Catholics were Christians. We didn't think right. there would be Catholics in heaven. We, I mean, it was just <laughs> such an us and them, and it just means we miss out on so much. Right. Yeah, and, I, you know, for the journey, that's so, that's tough, right? Because, you know, the big chunk of the church is Catholic in the right, past, right? right. So, you know, yeah. even people, like some of the people that have influenced me most are like Ignatius of Loyola and... Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, John of the Cross and Teresa yep. of Avila, like these guys, these they're all, they were all monks or whatever. Uh, right. right, like they right. they uh, without them, boy, you're missing something. So, absolutely, yeah, interesting. Yep. Okay, all right. So take take us from there up until kind of when you started the practice. Maybe well, I might yeah. be a bit of a jump, but just kind of take us through that and kind of what you were learning about God in that season and set that stage for us. Yeah. Well, I was trying to bring these practices into the Sunday morning experience. First at Mars Hill, and then in 2009, we moved back to Chicago, and I joined the Willow Creek staff as one of the worship leaders. And so every other Sunday or every other weekend, it was my job to lead worship. And, you know, as you can tell, I really was coming to believe that there's a a much bigger and wider story. And our our traditions, practices are really, really good, but not nearly enough. Um, and I was also really coming to believe that um, this idea that Christianity is about believing correctly, what Jesus was trying to do is convince us to believe things. I just, I didn't see that in the Gospels very clearly. Um, I, I kept seeing Jesus inviting us to participate to, you know, Jesus didn't say, here is the truth, believe it. Jesus said, I am the truth, follow me. Right. Um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, after this epic, you know, three chapters of, of the book of Matthew, this epic teaching of Jesus, at the very last thing he says, if any of you hear my words and put them into practice, then you'll build your life on a rock. And I was like, so he wasn't saying, believe all this stuff I just taught you. He's saying, do it, <laughs> you know? Right. So, you know, here I am at, at Will Creek and we're, we're trying to, trying to, to do these real practice-based worship experiences. And, you know, that <clears throat> finally the, our senior pastor, Bill pulled me aside and just said, Hey, love what you're doing. We're never going to do this stuff at Willow. Like that's just not, that's not what our weekend services are for. Um, but then he said, but we know people need it. We know it. And he even said, I love this kind of self-awareness and humility. He said, we know we're not doing enough for people who are Christ-centered and wanting to go deep. So would you consider pulling together a team to create 
uh, a community that's really committed to these practice-based things. And so in 2014, I think, we started a community called The Practice, which is a Sunday night uh, practice-based, ecumenical, uh, communion-centric, um, uh, liturgical, modern uh, community that met every Sunday night in the chapel. Oh, yeah. That, what a great invitation, first of all. Um, oh, yeah. And, so thankful. Yeah, and it's so cool that he could say to you, hey, how, how did you receive that? Because I'm hearing it for the, you know, going, oh, man, that I'd be, yeah. I'd be upset. But he also well, gave yeah, this other invitation, right? He, he gave you something so much more beautiful. Absolutely. And I knew it wasn't um, connecting in the way it needed to connect. Like I, I knew sure. it was, it was a real struggle on the weekends. And so I was looking for a new path too. I mean, that was, I didn't want to keep banging my head against the same brick wall. And he just gave me this wonderful invitation. Uh, so very grateful. Yeah. Very cool. So tell us about like that, what you do at the practice and then yeah. like what that's like so that people can get a feel for it. Yeah. Well, basically we said we want the question to be every Sunday, what can we do when we come together that helps us not just believe things about Jesus, but helps us reorient our lives to become the kinds of people who can put Jesus' words into practice? So, or like the scriptures say, we don't want to just be hearers of the word, but doers. So we, um, we ended up splitting the gathering up into three movements. The first movement was like an opening liturgy, a time of worship and prayer and, uh, uh, practice. And then the middle was a very short teaching that led us into a concrete practice. And then the final third was gathering around the communion table and then being sent out into the world to live this all week long. And so we set the chapel up in the round. So put the communion table at the center and then set all the chairs um, in the round facing in. And it was just, we said we wanted it to feel like a holy living room. So reverent and, uh, Um, we weren't going for cool or hip or exciting. We are going for holy. We're going for our life has plenty of hip and exciting, you know, um, we needed holy space. We needed space to breathe, to hear, to hear God's voice, to get in touch with our own selves that we're so disconnected from most of the week. So it was like a holy space, but we wanted to also feel very human. So he said living room. It's just people in a room. It's just my sisters and my brothers on this journey, um, trying to hear from God together and put his words into practice. So, yeah. Yeah. And so that putting it into practice, you call the church as gymnasium. Yeah. Right. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> we, we started to notice that very often, um, ch- a church can feel either like a classroom or a concert hall. Yeah. So it's a play, you know, classrooms, very common. What's the main part of any Protestant service? The sermon, the 45 minute lecture. Yeah. Like one guy, unfortunately, almost always a guy, one guy talks for 45 minutes and that's the center of the gathered church. You know, I just, um, so, uh, we, we wanted to decenter, um, the lecture portion 
But then also there's another side where church is concert hall. Like it's the place you come to be inspired by like amazing artists and musicians. And, and again, both lecture and art have an, have such a crucial role to play in the gathered church. So I am all about teaching and I am all about art. Um, but not as the goal. The goal is that we learn practices that we that we can do together, but most importantly, that we can do all week long. Um, I remember I had a, uh, an experience once at Willow Creek when I was doing the weekend services, um, where we were doing this really elaborate performance thing, and uh, I thought it was really beautiful and really holy, but it took like twenty paid full time, um, yeah, technical artists and right. musicians, and and I remember thinking like. Are we accidentally communicating to the community that you can't do this without us? <laughs> so you, if you want to worship or connect with God, um, you need to come back every Sunday for the professionals to lead you in this huge experience. And I thought, man, how beautiful would 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 it be if we could communicate the opposite, which is God is always with you. Right. Let us teach you a few ways that you can connect with God here, of course, but also Tuesday afternoon at lunch. And then Thursday night when you're putting your kids to bed. And then Friday morning when you're driving and you're really stressed out about the day of work or, you know, whatever. So we really want it to be a more empowering gymnasium than a, uh, um, than a more, a, a thing you observe. Yeah. I, yeah. I find that so attractive, you know, cause I've had that, um, that sense as well, you know, in church, maybe a lot of people have, but you know, yeah. just, we, we get there and there's really two guys who, who lead and, and our church, the people are, I love them. I, I know them oh, well, you know, they're, of course, and they're, yeah. they're great at what they do, but yeah. you're right. There's a sense of, okay, but what about how does the rest of us kind of help sure. and bring something to this? And, um, and so I, I love that you kind of found a way to do that you had eventually to go outside of your, your roots to find some of this stuff. And we kind of t touched on that a minute ago. Yeah. Um, and you kind of, you call that the healthy diet for a spiritual journey. Um, yeah. I think that's what a, what a great metaphor. I think your wife came up with that. You said, yeah, that was my wife, which, which is yep. so, so great. Tell us about why, like we need to diversify our experience a little bit. Oh man. Yeah. I think her language, I was trying to tell her why I'm doing all this liturgical stuff on Sundays and she didn't, she didn't, she's like, why are you doing all that? And I was explaining it. And finally she said, oh, so you're, you're basically trying to serve a well-balanced meal every Sunday. Yeah. And it was so brilliant and so well said. And I just realized I was serving the same meal every seven days. And it was a good meal. Like the four pop songs in a hymn, it's right. a good meal. There's nothing wrong with it. It's nutritious. It's helpful. But there's a lot it doesn't have. So it's like if I only ate chicken and rice and a dessert every meal, that's a good meal. But what about greens? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, what about you name it? Um, so, so yeah, so I, I, I was realized I, what I was trying to do is not again, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Okay. My tradition, everything sucks about it. No, 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 no. My tradition has a ton to offer and I'm so thankful but what about all the other streams? And so we started to say, 
you know, what, what does the church have to say for those of us who are in mourning right now, who are brokenhearted? Yes. Um, kind of my evangelical tradition had nothing to say to people who are mourning, like just believe more, pray more. Right. And it's, it's <laughs> or, awkward. Or tithe more, yeah. you know, it's just like, they just had, there's no spirituality of, of sorrow, of lament, but thank God, a number of traditions have ways to engage that, not the least being um, the season of Lent. And so our Catholic friends, and I know wider than just Catholic friends, but I, I've learned so much from, I have a spiritual director who's a Jesuit priest. Yeah. And he just says, Aaron, um, when something is really special, you want to prepare for it. And he says, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is the center of the center of our faith. And we want to celebrate with our whole hearts. And so we set aside the 40 days before Easter as a time to look inward, a time to weep over our sin, a time to clean, kind of do a spring cleaning in our soul so that when we get to Easter, we can raise our hands and you know, thanks be to God for G for raising Jesus. And well, again, I, that in some ways is such a simple idea. I just had never heard it. You know? Right. And so suddenly we have this, this tool, this framework called Lent that helps us engage more of our life with God as opposed to less. And I, I, I mean, I could tell you 20 stories of, of, parts of life and parts of God that I didn't know how to engage through my own tradition. Mm. But then such and such friends said, well, let me tell you how we do it. Yeah. And it just adds, adds this, uh, this tool in the toolbox or adds this invitation. So really beautiful. Yeah. Well, can you tell us one, like, is there one story that stands out for you? Oh man. Again, I could, I, know, I could there's talk a lot. for two hours. Um, <laughs> I mean, the first one that popped into my mind is uh, my friend Ian is uh, an Episcopal priest. And he, uh, we invited him to the practice and we said, would you teach us about communion, about the Eucharist from your tradition? Yeah. And so he came and he, I mean, he told us some things we'd literally never heard. He talked about it in this really beautiful way. But then he got to the end and he said, now listen, friends, remember, you never take communion. And we're, it's like quiet. And we're like looking around at each other. We're like, no, I think that's what we always, like, of course we take communion. He goes, communion can only be received. He said, taking and grabbing and grasping. That's what they did in the Garden of Eden. But he said, receiving is what's going to put the world back together. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I mean, I mean, we get, you know, those 30 seconds, the room was silent. We were like in a, in, in, in an awe of this idea. And I remember that, that next Sunday we said, we're going to change the way that we serve communion. Yeah. And you'll never come up and grab the bread. You will come up with your hands open and someone will place a piece of bread in your hands. Well, again, that, that sounds like a, a tweak of a church service, but it has such profound theological implications. Um, and it really 
changed how we approach the table and in some ways changed how we approach the world rather than grabbing, clutching, forcing. We, we try to approach the world with hands open, ready to receive what only Christ can give. Right. Wow. I love that. And I was, t- I was just thinking that same thing. If, if you come up and take what you're getting, you know, that's, that's the practice. Yeah, that's such a that's practical right. way to to reorient your heart. Um, wow, fascinating. Yeah. Which, as as a Protestant, almost never done, right? Of course, yeah. And I had never done it. Yeah. I literally never heard that until wow. he said that. But I think one of the insights is, and this is just brain science: the things we do over and over and over and over form us. In fact, the brain science right. brain science tells us literally rewires our brains. So if we come to church every Sunday to take what we need from God, that does something in our actual brains, let alone in our souls and our hearts. But when we come every Sunday and practice the humility of receiving, that does something rewires our brains, reorients our souls. It's really powerful stuff. Yeah. You know, another thing that, um, something you said just a minute ago, you talked about changing our relationship to the world, right? With your hands out. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that was a really powerful point that's made in there. And I can't remember if this was somebody who brought it to you, um, and shared it, or if it was just something you guys did intentionally, but the idea of the four relationships with God and with yourself, with your community and then with the world at large, what, what a, I, that really resonated with me, especially, um, you know, we don't have to get into this too much, but there's a video out there right now, this woman who's saying self-love is not worth it. Or sure. I, I get what she's right. saying, but uh, yeah. man, there's so much bad teaching about so much bad how teaching. we think about ourselves. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, I love that you're kind of doing things to let you have a, a healthy relationship with yourself because there is one, you know? Absolutely. Well, a couple thoughts on that. First of all, um, it, I'm glad to celebrate that idea because that was not my idea. That was Jason Pfeffer, who is a pastor. He's now the lead pastor of the practice. And he brought, he's just said his insight is when we're working on a rule of life, like a framework for for our spirituality, it has to engage all four directions, our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the world. And I think... One of the reasons that's so powerful is because we can't separate these things. Like it's all connected. It's all connected. Think about Jesus teaching. Think about the, uh, you know, teachings all throughout the New Testament. You know, the way you love God is the way you love your neighbor. The way you love your neighbor is the way you love God. Or when G when, uh, the, uh, the greatest commandment to love, love your neighbor as yourself. That implies you love yourself. Right. Um, it's all connected. And this whole idea of trying to separate and silo all these different parts of human existence into these little categories is um, obviously not, was not in the first century imagination. Um, and I think is connected to a world that is no longer helpful. Yeah. Kind of the the Ford Motor Company, everything's a, we split things up into different pieces and assembly line. Like that's just not how 
the human experience works. So sorry if that's a rambling response. No, that was fantastic. Response, I love but, that. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. it's really important. And I love what you said, that it's all connected. And so we can't actually have a bad theology of self and actually have a good relationship with God and our community and our world. I, I agree. Whoa. And <laughs> if you read, I mean, First John isn't, <laughs> right. couldn't you sum up almost all of First John as... If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. I mean, that's, you know, right. uh, overstated. But like, how many different ways does does he have to say that? Um, Jesus said, if you don't forgive your neighbor, right after he teaches the Lord's Prayer, if you don't forgive your brother, then neither will God forgive you. What do we do with that verse? I don't even, yeah, like that goes against so much of the things that I have been taught and have believed, but it's in there. So I, I don't I don't know if I could perfectly explain it, but I think what it it, it teaches very clearly is it's all connected. Yeah. It's all connected. I love that. Okay. So there's a lot that we could talk about. Um, the book is great and I definitely recommend it. Thanks, man. Uh, friends, you can get the book uh, anywhere you get books. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. You can find Aaron at aaronnequist.com. There's a link there in the show notes as well. Make it easy for you. And um, I definitely recommend if you're wrestling at all with the kind of, you know, is, isn't there more to this to this faith than what I'm getting yeah. at church? Please get this book. And uh, the invitation to jump into the eternal current yeah. is definitely there and available. So, Aaron... Wow. Is, is there anything else you want to leave us with? I mean, just maybe I'd just jump on that last thing you said. Um, I'd say to anyone who's who's listening, two things. If you if you are having a hard time finding your footing in a life of faith, um, if you if you can't let go of the way of Jesus, but you don't know if you want to be a Christian or can't find a church or you know. If you're in that season, two things. Number one, you are not alone. Yes. You are not alone. There are so many of us who have both hit that point and continue to hit that point. It is a life journey, but you are not alone. Um, And then the number two thing I would say is um, resurrection only comes after death. Mm. And is it possible that this thing in you that you feel like, oh, no, it might be dying is actually the thing that needs to die so that new life can be born? Um, so what I would say, don't give up. Don't, don't either just say, well, I'll just go back to what I've always believed. But then also don't say, well, forget it all. It's all, I, I, the whole faith thing is, is, uh, is false. Like there is a third way. There is a, a middle way. Don't give up. Yeah, absolutely. Step through the wall and, and see what God, how God wants to lead you through it. Yeah. Um, Cause he yeah. may, he may be doing something to bring you to a whole new life and relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Wow. Aaron, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so glad to talk to you. It was fun. Yeah. And I'm, uh, it's, I'm honored that you read the book. It so was great. Glad it was helpful. 